Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Stremming, the Cog Dog Coach, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I cover behavior concepts, discuss training ideas, interview experts, and explore my cases, all regarding the dogs we live and play with. Let's go. This week on the podcast, I've got a very special guest. Erin Marion is a certified professional dog trainer, knowledge assessed, as well as a Karen Pryor clicker training partner. Erin's been working with dogs in some capacity for over 12 years. She's got a wide range of knowledge and experience concerning dog behavior, health, emotional care, training, and nutrition. And since 2016, she's been working primarily with dogs who are deaf, blind, or both by using positive reinforcement-based techniques, and clicker training principles, even with those dogs that can't hear the clicker. I met Erin because one of my dogs is experiencing deafness and blindness, and I reached out for help. I loved having this conversation with her, and I know that you will too. Here it is. Welcome to the podcast. Will you start by sharing your name and pronouns with us? Hey everyone. Yeah, my name is Erin Marion. My pronouns are she, her, and I am a certified professional dog trainer. I am really excited for us to talk today. The first time that we talked was because I reached out to you because my girl Iggy is 15 and she's almost totally deaf and she's losing her vision as well. And kind of when I noticed that she was losing vision on top of it, I was like, I need some help. I don't know what I'm doing about this. Um, so it's, and it's truly in my long years of dog training, it's not something that I've had to consider much um, until now. And now it's kind of at the forefront because Iggy runs my life. So I reached out to you. I asked you for help. And today we're going to dig into your story a little. So we're going to start with the easy one. Who do you share your life? Yeah. So first off, I just had to share that I had to swipe off the fangirl moment of when you reached out. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I think it was one of those like Macaulay Calkin in the mirror, just like, oh, I'm so excited. So I just wanted to say thank you so much um, of reaching out to me. It was such an honor to work with you. Um, so yeah, so my name is Erin Marion. I have been uh, working with dogs since, oh my gosh, I think I've always had animal jobs, whether it was in feed stores or I worked at the Colorado State University Vet Hospital. I was the operator for a while, anything to really kind of get into the field. Um, I went to Colorado State uh, for animal science. I met uh, one of my professors there was Temple Grandin, which got me really into the idea of uh, thinking about animals and the way they experience things much more out of the box. And then I attended Karen Pryor Academy in 2011 and just kind of skyrocketed from there. And then just like kind of every other dog trainer, I feel like everyone has that one dog that they get that kind of turns them um, into a dog trainer, whether they thought they would go that route or not. So that was my dog, Otis. He can he could see in here, um, but that just kind of skyrocketed me even more to dog training. 
And then um, from all of my travels from Colorado to Oregon, I landed uh, with the group Deaf Dogs of Oregon and just really engulfed myself in the idea of working with deaf dogs. I started just fostering. I started working at events. And then I got my first deaf and blind dog, Ghost. And he just basically changed my life and changed the course of how I would train forever. So it was, it was really quite a journey to get here. And now I don't think, I don't think I'll ever go back very much to seeing and hearing dogs as weird as that sounds. And that is really interesting. First of all, we're in the same age category and I went to CSU as well. So we'll have to, we're going to have to chat about that later. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I did not know that. This is and wild. Cool. So I feel like we getting- we lived in Fort Collins <laughs> at the same time, and it's very possible we knew the same people. So we're going to chat about that later. Anyway, um, yeah, <laughs> so cool. So you fangirling I, even I mean, harder now. This yeah. is so fascinating. Um, so obviously, you share your life now with dogs that have vision and hearing impairments. Tell us about yes. those dogs. You have three of them. Yes. So my spouse and I, we co-own a horse farm, which has been kind of our newest adventure. And we share our lives with my uh, senior dog, who is Dahlia. She she can see and hear. But as we all know, with senior dogs, kind of like you reached out to me, though, that will eventually start to fade out. Uh, I have my um, deaf and blind dog, Darla. She is fully blind and partially deaf. She's an Australian shepherd. Um, and then I, my, our newest addition is my fully blind rough coat colleague, Clark. Uh, and so those are our kind of, that's our little group. And then I, I have had, I fostered four dogs. I'm pet sitting one right now, one of my foster dogs, Mouse, who's completely deaf and blind. And then I also work with the uh, multiple rescues in my area that, you know, we deal with. A, I live in uh, quite a you know interesting part of Pennsylvania yep. where puppy mills are yep. <laughs> pretty huge out here. So we deal a lot with um, seeing things out there as well. Out here as well. So rewinding to Ghost, this is kind of the dog that started yes. the kind of passion about these deaf and/or blind dogs. So, do you want to tell us the story about him? Yeah. So Ghost to this day is. Uh, was one of my hardest dogs that I've ever worked with. There's always, I feel like you always, you love seeing all of your students and your fosters blossom, but there's always one that just kind of imprints mm-hmm. on you. And that was Ghost. Um, Ghost was a Catahoula mix and he came to us as a foster uh gosh, like nine weeks old. Um, They all really have these kind of tragic beginnings usually. Um, So as he was, you know, malnutrition, all the above, and he just came with a lot of compulsive issues that I was not used to. So the first month or so, it was kind of your basics. And I was kind of teaching myself uh, to this day, I still consider my mentor to be Deb Bauer. Uh, she's a wonderful deaf and blind dog trainer. And she was she had written a book that was kind of my first intro to everything. The trainer for the rescue was also giving me some information as well. But I found myself just totally lost on how do I talk to this dog? What happens when he starts 
spinning out of, you know, trying to communicate what happens when I can't potty train this dog. You know, he can't really tell me of what, you know, what he wants and what he needs. And so we had eight months together and I was looking back on my journey. You obviously would do so many things differently. I would have intervened with medication much earlier. I would have, um, you know, and at the time, this was 2017, 2018, there still wasn't a ton of information out there. There wasn't, you know, how do you, what type of enrichment do you do? What type of tactile cues are there? So I tried to take what I learned from my principles of clicker training and apply them, but it, it was, you know, I still get emotional a little bit about it because it was, he was so difficult. He just had so much, so many, again, compulsive tendencies. So he would spin in very tight circles when he couldn't smell mm -hmm. you or something else around. He was a pretty heavy resource garter, um, which they can be. He didn't that know sense. how to, it, that makes total yeah. sense, right? Yeah. Like if I had a blindfold on and I had, you know, I am like clutching all my stuff, yeah. I'm clutching all my like, stuff to my chest, yeah. get and away somebody, from me. And somebody gives me a piece of pizza. I've never had pizza before. Like, you're not going to take that pizza, man. I'm going to become swing. You're you know? not. Yeah. <laughs> so I do get that. I don't um, even need to be deaf or blind, Aaron. Yeah. You're not taking it. <laughs> No, especially if it's a Friday night, like we were talking about, right? Yeah. So, um, and he did not know how to communicate his needs until he started spinning. And here's where I look back and I'm like, oh, Aaron, you know, so when he started spinning, I'd be like, okay, buddy, you have to go potty. Thanks for letting me know. Okay. Or, okay, man, you're hungry. It's about that time. Thanks for letting me know. Looking back now, I'm like, oh, honey, that's not how you should have done that, <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, truly, but you were really, you were ahead of the game, actually, by noticing that this was about a gap in needs and not just, like, him being crazy, in quotation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I appreciate you saying catching that. <laughs> it, Catching it before that. Like, catching it before that's a live and learn moment. But, like recognizing in the, like having the compassion for him in the moment is still valuable. Yeah. And I really appreciate you saying that. Cause again, you look back on your, on all your other cases oh, and you're like, trust oh, me. Yes. Oh, you know, well, you're such an idiot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it's, I felt like it's almost like every deaf and blind dog since ghost. I'm like, got it. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, yeah. it's been easier. Now there's been some cases uh, that were still, you know, I, I'm sure we can dive into this. There were still some cases that all the medication, all the behavioral modification, everything you could still, there's just so much neurological damage from bad breeding, whatever it is that mm -hmm. inevitably don't help the dog. And sometimes the healthiest choice is to, um, you know, is to have behavioral euthanasia just for the mental over in emotional well-being of the dog. Um, but this wasn't the case. He ended up finding an adopter. Um, he does live a very particular life, but it works for mm -hmm. them. You know, he's a mostly outside dog. He's still um, he is on medication, which has really helped with the compulsive spinning. He's not he still resource guards and, and such things, but they have found a way to cohabitate and to live with him. And so it did end up, you know, having a good 
good ending, but the start was just something I will never forget because there were so many tears. And that's something that I have now even trained. I started off with like, I'm going to have a dog training membership club and we're going to do deaf and blind dog training. We have totally scratched that idea. And it's just a support group at this point. I mean, it's a, it's when you take Mm. on a dog like this, you tend to think like, oh, this poor dog, like I'm going to love it and nurture this thing. And then you find out, oh my gosh, I'm so in over my head because this dog is still a dog and still doing dog things that they're genetically Mm. bred to do. But now they're deaf and blind. And how do I go about that? All of that's fascinating. And I think that as dog trainers, we all we all have like an origin story and usually the origin story has something to do with some dog that was troubled in some way um so i always love to hear about that dog for people you but diving into kind of what you and i did with my dog iggy which is a lot of what you do like you mentioned that you also just support and like offer community around people who are living with Um, dogs that have these challenges but you're also a trainer and a good trainer and like you mentioned bringing those um, principles of clicker training those sound training principles into these dogs that have these specific impairments is um, just a really cool niche everything that we did went like really seamlessly for Iggy and it's just story of her life though she's like the easiest dog to train ever um But she has a really rich learning and training history with me. And I think that's why everything is going so seamlessly. So can you talk about the differences between like later in life impairments like Iggy is experiencing versus these dogs that are born with these impairments? Because as you mentioned, you've got kind of you've got both in your household and I'm sh- and you've got both in your clientele. So what are yeah, some of those? I think what are the, some of the differences off, between those I was dogs? so blown away by that video that you had posted. I was like, it is a genius. Like, I was so impressed. Um, that was <laughs> yeah. It's Iggy. Iggy is a genius. <laughs> Everyone, literally, she is. I was looking for a video of something to give a client And I found it, it's like eight or nine years old and it's me teaching it to Iggy. And I'm like, this isn't even helpful because nothing in this video goes wrong even a little bit, even though I'm not even doing it perfectly. She's being perfect. And I I was like, okay, can't girl. (laughs) So one of the first things that I noticed doesn't even have to be with the dog. It is the person. You know, the person tends to have like an emotional huge emotional impact by it. Oh my gosh, my dog has all of a sudden, you know, it's gone blind. Oh my gosh, my dog is deaf. What kind of life can this dog lead? Their life is over. You know, they kind of really sink in. So first it tends to be just a little therapy session to remind the person or the guardian that life is not over. We're just in the next chapter, you know? And so, um, when someone adopts a dog that is deaf and blind as a puppy, mm-hmm. they kind of have an idea like, all right, their life will be different. So first off, that's kind of the, the first thing I notice. when it comes to the dog, really what I start to notice, and there's a lot of questions I start asking. Um, I ask, start to ask about cognitive, you know, I, I need, it's not just your dog went deaf and blind. I need to know kind of what, where else we're at. How did, the, what caused this? Was it age? Do they have PRA? You know, all of these things. Um, So I do notice that a dog that is aging will 
almost be confused a little bit more. Like they might, but they might get stuck in a certain corner or they might just kind of bump into something and then immediately mm. turn around and go back to somewhere in the house. They are, feel safe. Um, they might startle a little easier than they, than a dog that was born deaf and blind. So we work on a lot of um, mm -hmm. like spooking techniques. Uh, they also like my dog Dahlia is 10. You can start to see the cloudy eyes. So she is really, uncomfortable with touch over like a lot of over over petting a lot too much touch she can get very overstimulated by that so when you and if you were to instruct a dog like that with a guardian and just immediately start going with tactile cues sometimes it's too much and you might you know there also might be pain involved so i actually have to instruct the guardian on how to re like start to pet their dog, on how to communicate with their dog, because people just want to get right into it, and the dog's kind of like, whoa, 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 this is this is too much, and we have, and so I almost have to say, like, I have to instruct people how to start mm -hmm. petting their dogs to see if that consent is there to then even remotely try like a follow me cue of a swipe under the chin or getting their dog to turn around by swiping down their back. It has to be so gentle. And so um, just to, again, avoid the spooking if there's any pain, because you don't want to turn an old dog an older a senior dog more into like a grumpy dog that'll turn around and, and say, Hey, that's too much. You're freaking me out. So that is what I've noticed. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I've also had some of my most rewarding clients are the senior dog clients because I will have people follow up with me six months later and say, you know, like I had one client reach out and say, you know, the dog had passed away, but you gave us this six months of communication. You, I was able to talk to my dog again. I was able to do things and train with my dog again. And I didn't think it'd be possible. And that is so rewarding to see these people have this kind of last chapter of life with their dogs and have their dog be able to experience these things that nobody maybe thought was possible. I have this little pug client that learned, you know, to do a chin rest on a pool noodle because she was also diabetic and was able to take the insulin injection with complete cooperative care and she was deaf and blind. And so it's just, it's, it's really no, incredible. Yeah. It's really special. It is. And I can definitely relate um, to, I think some of my words to you when I reached out was I just want to, you know, I just want to enhance the quality of whatever the time is that we've got left. Like, Basically, she, I can't believe wow. that she turned 15 because wow. she was diagnosed with cancer almost two years ago. So like <laughs> the fact that she's going blind and deaf is I'm like, okay, well, I didn't think that I was going to get to get to this place, but I did. So what are, you know, what are we going to do about it? Um, and the touching and the, the, use of tactile cues and the fact that that can be kind of inherently aversive to a lot of dogs. I think that that's a really interesting point um, as well as the cognition factor. I didn't know. And I think a lot of people experience this, how much of this is deafness, how much of this is blindness and how much of this is cognitive decline. Um, and I can't know for sure, but what I can do 
is do what you've taught me to do and then see that a lot of it was deafness. A lot of it was blindness because it's getting better and better. Like losing me when we're outside, like losing track of me when we're outside feels like cognitive decline, except that if I treat it like it's blindness and deafness, she doesn't lose me as often. And so, you know, it kind of doesn't matter what's what if this is what's working, because it definitely could be all of the above and just the things that I'm doing to support her to not lose me, to not lose track of me yeah, would work if it was cognitive decline too. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it's just this overarching, like how, like, it's just a great thing to be able to support a dog in their aging process in any way. But you and I talked a little bit about you love training these dogs that are born with some of these impairments and you actually find them to be so interesting and they have, you know, their other senses are heightened. Yeah. I um, talk totally about those feel dogs like a, a freak bit. in that category simply because, <laughs> because it's like, if you, if you call me up and you have a deaf and blind dog, you're like, I will fit you in, right? Like I, I will make it happen. You call me up and you have a seeing and hearing dog and you're like, I'm booked up you know, for a little while. Uh, um, and, and yeah, I'm so sorry. I love you know, anyone listening. I Bottom love of the you, list. But, Bottom <laughs> of the list. But I just, I am like fascinated because, and I even, when you were talking about some of these questions that we were going to talk about, I was even like, I joked that like, sometimes I even find myself with a seeing and hearing dog being like, oh, deaf and blind dog could have done that faster. It's like so terrible. It's so terrible. Uh, so I am just fascinated by them because like, if you think about it, you have a dog that cannot see you, a dog that cannot hear you this, you know, let's talk about, you know, a puppy or an adolescent and the things that you can get them to do if your timing is correct and your treat delivery is correct and your the way you go about it the, and you learn the style in which they learn. And how quickly they, I mean, they pick things up. I, my mind is constantly blown, you know, because I try to think if I was in their shoes, you know, I, I'd be like, screw this, can't do it, <laughs> you know, and the effort that they put through and they, you know, you have to remember yeah. that an Australian shepherd, like a deaf and blind Australian shepherd is an Australian shepherd that happens to be born deaf and blind, right? They still have all these genetic tendencies and that, you know, I, one of my more popular webinars is yeah. called how to train a raptor because, you know, mouthing is such a big uh, deaf and blind puppies tend to mouth a lot harder. They tend to play a lot harder and you really have to work with that. But like, for instance, I had a client, this was a really interesting case. I, I nerd out about this one. They had a deaf and blind Catahoula Australian Shepherd mix. And anytime the mom wore these very particular pink fluffy slippers or anytime she'd have a scrunchie on her wrist, the dog would go crazy. It would mouth her. It would rip at the scrunchie, rip at the slippers. And, you know, tra multiple trainers were like, I don't know how to go about that. I don't know how to do that. So just like Temple Grandin showed me what 12 years ago in college, that if you were to just think about it from the dog's point of view, so you probably thought they smelled a certain way. The mom probably shuffled her feet a certain way. The texture probably felt a particular way. And so you just kind of have to condition the dog that when I have these things on, mm -hmm. better things happen if you just settle by my feet or like sometimes redirecting doesn't do it. You have to get to the root of what the other senses are 
processing and then try to condition that. So it just pushes my training to think so out of the box and to think, you know, sometimes I will literally close my eyes and cover my ears and try to, you know, what am I feeling? What, what am I processing? And not that I'm like, you know, channeling my inner dog whisperer, but I'm just trying to guess, you know? And so I think that's what I love so much about it. Cause not, <laughs> you know, you ha- training the dog in front of you, not every deaf and blind dog is the same. And each one teaches you just something a little bit different on what kind of information they're intaking. That is all really fascinating. And actually knowing that you learn directly from Temple Grandin, actually that like that informs a lot of my understanding of kind of you as a practitioner that the covering your eyes and your ears to see what's what the dog might be experiencing. Like that is, um, that's exceptional. And I'm don't mean it's exceptionally weird. I mean, it's exceptionally smart. Like it's, it's exceptional in all ways. And it's, um, I think that my ability to, like, I think it's been the strength of mine, my whole career, my ability to understand what my ability to put myself theoretically in the dog's position and think about what they might be experiencing. And I think that it, like it informs me in my work. And I think that I'm best with a certain kind of dog. And those are the dogs that I relate to the most. And so I, I just really, I like hearing all of that. And I think all of that's really interesting. Do you, if you got a dog tomorrow that had full sight, full hearing, would you teach that dog all of the same visual and tactile cues? That's that a you great teach question. It's funny the internal emotions I felt when you said that. Like, that's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know about that. You were like, why would I do that? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Sarah, so Sarah, if you got it, if you got a um, dog that wasn't a border collie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did, but she's, she, you know, she's still a herder in her own right. Yeah. right? So if you got a dog, if you got a retriever, Sarah, what would you, would you teach it all of this? And I would have, I'm like, I'm like, well, first of all, that's probably not happening. But second of all, yeah. <laughs> yes and no, depending on what we're talking about. Like, I'm not going to worry if I have a golden retriever puppy, I'm not going to yeah. worry if my golden yeah. retriever puppy is going to want to chase and control moving vehicles. If the, if if they show me that they might want to, then I will be fully prepared yeah. to respond to that. But they're probably not going to. It's just going to be a completely different set of yeah. things that go on. Oops, so yeah, My let's just dog say right. it happened. <laughs> your your pup, your puppy your puppy was born with full <laughs> sight and hearing. How terrible! You know, yeah, I I would say yes <laughs> and no. So. I, you know, I still do train with the rescues that I work for. I still do train seeing and hearing dogs like, but, um, and I, (laughs) so, and I will try, I always try when you have to something that I have (laughs) in my training journey, something that I have learned is like, do I have to use my voice? Do I have to, because we think that training is just you know, using our voice. But sometimes what happens with our voice is sit can also be sit, you know, and it's like down can also be down, you know. And so I, I find that 
they can be super inconsistent. Your voice is inconsistent. So, you know, in the very beginning. Yeah. So it absolutely is. It really, yeah. really is. And like, we don't even know how bad we are about it. But like, you know, um, yeah. I know no one can see this, but like a sit with a smile and like happy eyebrows with your hand signal is also inconsistent as sit with your hand signals with like, you know, a, a, a more upset looking face uh, with your, you know, eyebrows scrunched and your eyes looking a certain way and you have more intention, you know. That is also the dog will pick up on those kind of that facial recognition of a little bit of like, oh, oh, you kind of mean business now. So I in the very beginning, I try to see if I can get the dog to turn around with a possible swipe down the back. Or maybe I'll try a positive interrupter on the back hip bone just to see, because I do work with a lot of mill puppies who are absolutely petrified and have like so much sensory stuff that I do try. Now, some mill puppies don't even want to be touched, so mm-hmm. that's not an option, but I do try to go that route in the very beginning. Um, now, again, some dogs, going back to my joke of like, oh, a deaf and blind dogs will pick that up. Some dogs are not super, their touch sense isn't very heightened. So you could, you'll end up poisoning the cue so fast because you're trying over and over and over. And the dog's like, I don't care about that. You can tap me Mm. or boot me as much as you want. Um, So I do try, but I will say again, as dog trainers, I'm sure, you know, you'll agree with this is you have to train the dog in front of you. So if they're not responding, I'm not going to be like, you have to be trained like this. I'm going to try to figure out how they learn best. And that might be hand signals. It might be verbal, but I'm glad I have a whole encyclopedia of what I can try. I think that now we're getting into something that I'm thinking a lot about lately, which is all of the nuance in communication, because we actually can't know what it is that they're perceiving. We can try our best, but and we do try our best, but we can't actually know what they're perceiving. I've trained a lot more visual signals than these tactile cues. Those are the newer ones for me. And it's amazing to me how many yeah. dogs are picking up on something that is completely not what you thought it was in some sort of hand signal exercise. So like training my dog Felix for the competitive obedience ring, there are a couple of different um, hand signal only scenarios where I'm not allowed to give verbal cues. And in trying to piece together why he occasionally would get a certain signal wrong, I just started focusing on where I was looking when I gave the signal and found out that where my eyes were looking <laughs> yeah. was as important as anything else to him. Even though Aaron, I thought I was just looking at the dog, like, but all of the time, I think I'm just looking at his face, but, but it's really, really important to him exactly where my eyes are shifted. Like it is wild what they're looking at. And that being an example of just things that we, we can't we can't know and we can't perceive. So we have to try, try to be consistent and then know that my agility coach, Megan always says, nobody gets it wrong on purpose, which is perfect when you're thinking about why a dog isn't responding the way that you expected them to respond. Like they aren't getting it wrong on purpose. So giving them that 
like, and you aren't either. So if you are giving the tactile cue and the dog's not responding correctly, neither of you are getting this wrong on purpose. So we have to kind of say, okay, then how could we be a little bit more intentional with the specifics? And can I ask the dog, you know, is it a pressure thing? Is it a specific location thing? And I think that brings up a great point because something I've noticed too, and what I tell all my clients is the energy you put into your deaf and blind dog is the energy you're probably going to get back. So for instance, uh, I find the harder you, so some people, the average person loves to take a deaf and blind dog and just like, or any dog really, let's not even say that and just be like, Oh, I love you so much. And you know, really just like scratching <laughs> and blah, 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 you know? mm-hmm. the sound effect I hope mm-hmm. portrays what I'm trying to do. But yeah. Oh, um, yeah. But I find, <laughs> I find petting a deaf and blind dog like that is like a no go because what you're basically doing is cranking a Jack in the box. So what happens is you're like, you're petting and you're scratching and you're loving. And then all of a sudden you walk away and now they're like, and it's like, boom. And they just release this energy of like mouthing or jumping, or you just like pushed all of that energy in. So, so when Darla and I were doing canine freestyle, we love to do doggy dancing, but I realized we, so we, our song was nine to five by Dolly Parton. I was like, this is so cute. I have a whole idea of how we're going to do this. And she just would get so frustrated and so flustered. And I was getting a lot of stress whining. I was getting some fallout and I was like, okay, am I being too frantic? What, you know, I had to sit back and really look at the big picture. Uh, well, what I think it was, but like you said, we can't totally determine, but what I think it was is the song was too fast and the cues were going too quickly. So we changed mm. it to a slower song and everything changed. So I was touching her differently. I wasn't going as fast. So she was able to take the information I was giving her and process it at the rate she could handle. And it went much more smoothly. So I find it that that's a really big part of it is the way you talk to them. So if I want Darla to jump up onto my arms for a position, I'm going to swipe quickly. If I want her to bow down slowly into position for our dancing, I'm going to ask the cue very slowly. And it's really interesting how much they also pick up on, like you just mentioned, the pressure of the cue and the like, like a moving cue, kind of like what we talked about in our lessons, a moving cue is always something that I'm going to move either up and down the shoulder blade to the Mm -hmm. hind end, Mm -hmm. or if I want them to stay or wait, it's a kind of a stagnant hold for a second. So Mm -hmm. I have found Mm -hmm. that that has, they've picked up on that as well. They do. And the the same with like, if you want them to go fast, like you use, you know, quicker, more like staccato type of verbal cues. And if you want them to be still like people say wait and you know things like that I think it was um Patricia McConnell's like grad student like her research that she did for her PhD had to do with looking at uh going all over the world and like seeing that people no matter what language they spoke were doing that and I think a lot of uh, horses which you being a horse person I'm sure recognize that like like when you want them to stop you say whoa and when you want them to hurry up you make like quick kissy noises like it's just it's kind of just something that we do and 
all behavior, you know, is reinforced, like behavior that, that continues has been reinforced. And so like we do it, they get it, it gets reinforced, we do it again. And I think it would do all of us some good to think about our cueing and think about the, think about what we are kind of bringing to the party as far as do I want this to look, do I want this to chill out or do I want this to look frantic? I, when I teach workshops for dogs that are a little too much, which is the, the workshop that I like to teach, I will always have at least a couple of handlers who are just, they're very frantic because the dog's really frantic and it's just a cycle. <laughs> and, and I That's usually cool. say to them, only one of you is allowed to be yeah. a shit show. So you have to, <laughs> you have to take a deep breath, slow down your movements, get very deliberate. And it does not, you know, it doesn't change things overnight, but it helps um, kind of just bring the energy of everything right back down. And I do think a lot of people in training are having kind of a pace matching issue with their learner. Like when you are training something that is very quick and is very quick moving and you are not very quick because that's not who you are as a person, or maybe your skill level is not fluent enough that you can do it fast and keep it clean. You're going to struggle with that animal. Um, Versus, and the same is true for if you are fluent in your skills and you can move quite quickly and now you're training an animal that would like to go slower. Like it sounds like the nine to five routine was perfectly matched for you. but your, your learner did not agree. Um, it can be really frustrating for us. And then we can cause frustration kind of across the board. Like I always think about some of the other species that I've trained, like training a chicken versus training a miniature donkey is like, there's just a vast sea of difference in speed between those two animals. Like the chickens are not stopping to think about it and they are, they can eat really fast and they're just in their next rep before you've had a chance to breathe. And then the donkey is like chewing and looking and then considers whether he could just eat grass instead of what you have and then brings his head back and then you go into your next repetition. And like, it's, it's a valuable lesson. And especially in like dog sport world, everybody wants the dogs to move really fast. (laughs) like immediately like (laughs) yeah and horse people are like the same way right mm -hmm. they want some things to go so quickly and it's like some horses just don't process you need to give a horse time you need to see that licking and chewing right you need to to see that they are processing the information that you're throwing at them and I it's funny the woman I work with with the horses is you know that we have found the similarities between deaf and blind dogs and horses and like the energy you put in and out we're like it is crazy how similar it is (laughs) Totally. And I was realizing the other day that if I had a horse, I would want like the steadiest steady horse that was very like, was just not going to go very fast and was not going to kill me. And then, yeah. and I was thinking yes. about that as the fact that I literally like the exact opposite in a dog. <laughs> yes. And the, then the difference is fluency levels. Like I yeah. can and enjoy training dogs that are very sharp and very quick. I have like yeah. zero experience, almost zero experience with horses. And so I need this to go very slow. And yeah. I think that people don't consider like themselves and their background enough when they're training this animal. Like if you 
can't do it slow, you certainly can't do it fast. So appreciate the dog that's kind of asking for slowness as an opportunity to clean yourself up and kind of get all of these skills right. And that's something that I do notice so much. And, you know, to everyone who has adopted a deaf and blind dog and is, is about to be the person I'm describing, know that I still love you. But a lot of people adopt deaf and blind dogs because they just simply feel bad for them. You know, they simply are like, oh, my gosh, this poor ah. dog, you know, like, oh, my gosh, no one will be able to love this dog like I do. Or I will be able to just love and nurture and care for this thing. And at the end of the day, they'll call me and they'll be like, you know, but he's still peeing in the house and he's still nipping at my clothes and he's still chasing the cats, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, this, <laughs> this might be a hint. This might be a hint for like all your relationships. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that maybe, yeah. maybe this isn't a good place to start. <laughs> uh, well, what kind of dog is it? Well, she's an Australian shepherd. Okay. You know, it's like, so that's why I'm right. like, we like we just talked about a few moments ago, like you cannot think, you're deaf and like you, you don't have a deaf and blind Australian Shepherd. You have an Australian Shepherd first who happens to be blind yeah. and they are still going to yeah. do all of those things. Darla would yeah. get so when she was younger, she'd get so wound up and she would just launch herself and like try to bite our boot. Yeah. Like you know, try to bite like Yeah, it was because it was still in there because she's an Aussie. Yes. Yeah, it's yes. she's she's a lot. Versus your rough collie. Oh, collies yeah, are he's just like way. The, coll collies are the kind of horse yeah, I want. Yes. Like that's that's Clark who they are. Just, yeah, he's so aloof <laughs> and he's just like. But it was interesting because he was such a fearful. He was afraid of his own farts. Like he was afraid of everything. So oh, like baby. he, we have this oh. we have this room down in the basement. We have a sunroom that has like you know the little bar for a sliding glass door, and then into our basement. And he, I shouldn't laugh. It's not, but he got stuck. Like he would just like get stuck. Like he couldn't go from the different texture mm -hmm. of the sunroom to the different surface of the basement. He would just two paws on one and two paws yeah. on another. And then he wouldn't walk because he would get so scared. And so you can't just rush dogs like that, you know? And I get a lot of people like, oh, they're not potty trained yet. They can't jump into the car yet. They can't. So where you think your average, you know, seeing and hearing dog will learn things by five, six months. You, Clark was more confident around nine, 10 months, you know, because it took, we would put different uh, surface of like those carpet squares and stuff you'd get at Home Depot all around the basement to get him used to it. Or we would very slowly put his two paws up on the car and then try to introduce the up, up, or we would like, it just took time, you know, and now he's like, you know, running up, you know, next to yeah. me on the farm, just thinking he's like lassie with no eyeballs. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> we joke that <laughs> we joke that Clark would push Timmy in the well instead of save him because he couldn't see him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's like, Oops. so, but it's interesting because the dog I'm, you know, that I fostered mouse, she's a miniature Aussie doodle and she has a little bit more compulsive tendency when she goes into turbo mode. That's what we call it. She gets mm -hmm. like kind of lost in herself and she'll just spin around our, our trap, our um, kitchen Island over and over. She'll just have her head up. So what's kind of common is deaf and blind dogs will hold their head up, nose to the air, open mouth and just kind of like, pulse, you know, kind of compulsive spin they around do. something. Yeah. And yeah. so instead of just being like, no, 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 like, okay, why don't we teach her that if she's what, what basically happens is she smells food. So she's like, Oh, I don't know what to do with myself. you know. Yeah. And so, yeah. okay. Yeah. 
the most recent video I posted today was, all right, instead of correcting her over and over, let's teach her to do something different. So why don't I get her into Karen Overall's relaxation protocol, get her on her mat with the presence of food, not eliminate the food, with the presence of food, just chop the food and reward her for just hanging out. And so it's like mm. people want to correct these dogs. And, you know, how do I the first question I get all the time, how does I teach them? No. How do I correct them? And it's like, well, right. what's the root of it first? You know, and how do we kind of mold go with that? Instead right. Of, I mean, know? a correction is like worthless in most situations. Yeah. Like it's like it what? doesn't actually tell anybody what to do instead. Yeah. The looking upward. That's really interesting that you bring that up. My sister has a blind pug and he he's really adorable oh. and he will just sit in the middle of the room and look straight up yeah. oh. like he's. You know, he's trying to take in some kind of information by doing that, but he just, yes, he, he's very charming. He's so charming. And he'll just like, he's just staring at the ceiling. <laughs> it's so cute. They and he all does, do it. If, yes. he sen- if he senses food, it's a big reason. It's a big thing he'll do. Yep. Um it's fascinating that they all do that. It is. They all, a lot of them do it. Darla will even like when she knows somebody new is in the house, she like leaps forward, like jumps into the air with her nose. And then we have found, so every, you know, train the dog in front of you. We were, we were like, oh, Darla is such a bad jumper. She jumps on everybody. She jumps on everyone. And then we were like, okay, Aaron, why does she jump on everyone? We came to notice that she wants to smell your breath and then she stops. So I think like, a lot of dogs are seeking your face and that's why they yeah. jump up. Yeah. So I yeah. wonder if she's trying to, cause we only really have the same five friends that come over. Right. So like, of course. So I, I mean, yeah. I'm impressed you have five. Yeah. Eric. Yeah. <laughs> so I might be making up a couple now. Um, so what I think she's doing is she's trying to intake who you are and your breath is, gives the dead giveaway is like, okay, I get the most information from your breath because once you once you literally very gently blow into her nose, she stops jumping and goes and lays down. Super fascinating. Oh, that is so weird. I know. It's At so first, I was like, I'm I so sorry, it. and now I'm like, just breathe into her face. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just bend over yeah. and breathe into the dog's face, please? And then this will all be over. <laughs> Welcome to the freak show, right? <laughs> That's why you have I, what four four point five friends. We yeah, we don't, yeah. we might not have five. Yeah. Losing them quickly, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Dropping like flies as you ask them to bend down and breathe in the dog's face. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> to segue, and you kind of touched you've touched on this the entire conversation, but let's get into kind of the nitty gritty of wellness for these dogs because you know it's what I'm all about. What are the I have like I have concerns about this. Like what are the quality of life considerations? I think a lot of people have concerns about that. What are the considerations for quality of life that need to be taken into account when we're dealing with dogs that might be deaf and or blind? Yeah, so I think most of us are on the same page with this. I know Rose Adler with Keller's Cause and I are very much on the same page with this, but there comes with these dogs, there also comes a lot of neurological stuff. And you just, there are certain boxes I check off where I'm like, it starts to get like, ugh, 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 you know. So we're um, talking other health concerns, like in addition to, like if they have yes. other health concerns that tend to be attached because of, you know, we'll save yeah. the genetics discussion for 
Jessica Heckman. Yeah. And as we, as I do, <laughs> yeah, but things can get attached to other things. Like if we have certain, you know, ailments, they can go with other ailments a little bit too often. So you're kind of bringing in some of the other health issues that can be attached. Yeah. So I'm going to go over just cases I've had. Okay. Um, Cause I don't want to speak. I don't want to speak for all dogs or all, you know, and I don't want anyone to listen to this podcast and all of a sudden think that their dog is not a healthy well-being. So I would say, so some of the cases I have seen are, and if you're able to catch some of these things early with either traditional Chinese medicine or even Western medicine or just homeopathic things, it tends to help. So Compulsive spinning is a big one. Um, really tight, tight circles. I'm not talking like a happy-go-lucky deaf and blind dog who's running in a field in a circle. That's really normal. That is that is quite you know I that is very normal. Um, but if it is like really tight circling to the point where they're biting their back leg, biting at the tail, fly biting is something I find to be really unhealthy in these guys. Um, if anyone doesn't know what fly biting is it's kind of like this compulsive need to leap into the air and snap mm-hmm. um almost like it looks like they're trying to go after they're a fly. like snapping um, like invisible flies like it's what it looks like yeah. yeah yes um i would say so for instance my foster dog if she was unable to stop circling around the kitchen if she would try to bite me um out of redirection not because she you know out of that compulsiveness that would be a start to be a red flag if the one of the cases i had that had nothing to do with spinning or compulsive tendencies was that he was such an intense resource guarder that and it from day one and we're talking the day she brought him home to when we unfortunately made the decision at nine months that he was so mentally unstable it was anything and everything was his uh, if he jumped into the bathtub and we tried everything, she went to a, a veterinary behaviorist. We tried medication. We tried um, counter conditioning, sedation. We tried what I feel uh, it felt like we tried everything, um, and he only just got worse. And then mm-hmm. he started to redirect to the owner to the point he was leaving, you know, on Dr. Um, Ian Dunbar's scale, really high numbers of the wounds she was getting. So to me, that's an unhealthy state of mind. Um, if we're, it's, I will say seizures, not because they're deaf and blind. I do want to point that out, but a lot of, um, I will say a lot of my clients, their dogs also have seizures and sometimes the epilepsy can just be so, I will say my foster dog has epilepsy and my own dog has epilepsy and they are pretty, um, under control. Uh, now Mao suffers from cluster seizures, which can be pretty scary. That's mm-hmm. one of the more scarier tendencies of epilepsy where she just can't, she has a hard time coming out of them. So she's been hospitalized because one time she had five seizures in 30 minutes, things like that can get really unhealthy. But again, it, if you just, what I tend to feel like is if you just feel like you're losing your dog, or losing the dog in general, in a sense of just overall emotional and healthy well-being. I'm not one to say that, you know, immediately consider behavioral euthanasia, but if the dogs are just unable to stand because of, you know, a fluid in the brain or just Mm. anything that seems like it's unhealthy and not an unhealthy state of mind, I just don't feel like it's fair. Now, we've come really far with saving these dogs. You can train and have a very happy, healthy, deaf and blind dog. I think 20 plus years ago, the deaf and blind dogs weren't really a thing simply because we were just immediately um, 
putting them down. Yeah. But I think we need to consider a lot of things when we bring these dogs in and not all of them are of sound mind. Sure. And I think that that's, that's just not different from any other situation. Like. Agreed. For me. Yeah. It's a holistic kind of discussion about this dog's entire quality of life and the, and the people's quality of life in conjunction with the dog should always be discussed. But do you feel as though, like, I'm just going to bring in the big one that to me feels really tough, which is I lean really heavily on off-leash exercise for my dog's wellness, both kind of physical and mental. And it's very, very important to them. And if say my dog Felix went blind tomorrow and could no longer navigate really running his body in the woods and things like that. That would be a really major quality of life. Uh, just question that I would have that I'm not sure I could support him without that. So talk about like, what if, what if they are healthy otherwise, but they maybe can't access things for their behavioral health that they need? Or is that just not something you run into? Like, do they tend to be able to get the exercise? I mean, I do. I've known a couple of dogs who went blind kind of mid life yeah. rather than as an old dog and rather than as a young dog and they just really changed like they especially with the blindness like they just were not as comfortable you know moving their body as they used to be and so they moved their body less and I always worried about you know how you know how could that be good for them to be moving their body less so just kind of talk on that a little bit yeah I mean it's it's a great question and it's hard because you feel like you're playing God a little bit, right? And that's always kind of a mm -hmm. weird internal feeling. I think if this was one of my own dogs, like for Dahlia, if Dahlia went blind tomorrow, I think Dahlia would become extremely reactive. And, you know, I think mm. for me, and I want to give advice if anyone's listening to this and they're experiencing this, no one can make that decision but you because you have lived with that animal and you know all of that animal's highs and all of that animal's lows. And if you give it time and you observe your dog and you're seeing nothing but a decline in their behavior, sometimes the best thing that we can do is, is play God at the end of the day and, and remember them in like I had, this has nothing to do with deaf or blindness, but I had uh, one of my first dogs I ever adopted was nine years old. And I knew I only was going to have a short amount of time with her. And when I found out she was going into kidney failure, I did like a two week bucket and bucket list of all we took her to the beach, mm -hmm. we took her to Cannon Beach, we gave her cheeseburgers, we did all these things. And she was such a dignified um, strong. She was like such a, such a woman, you know, she was such a powerful being that I wanted her to go out on those terms. And when I started to mm -hmm. notice she was having accidents, she was throwing up a lot. I just, it was time. I didn't want her to go out like that. So I made the early decision mm -hmm. before doing any type of heavy diet, you know, really heavy testing and diagnostics. I just was like, it's time. We had four beautiful years together. Let's just hold pause and say goodbye. But that was my decision. I, you know, I don't want anyone to feel yeah. like if you let it go, that you're wrong for doing that. But I think the best advice I could always give is, you know, you know, when your dog is living its best life. And if it is not, then, you know, yeah. you are in this position of being able to let them go on a high note. And I think that dogs can live through blindness. I think they can live through going, you know, going deaf, but some 
cannot like you you're talking about with these you know high energy off leash loving life type dogs that would be a drastic change you know and and um you certainly it would be something that would be hard for the owner to go through emotionally as well to watch that for sure and i think it is one thing to have it be you know an older dog who like edgy who has all you know she already can't go on super long hikes anymore, like doesn't need to go run and run and run, like is okay being on a long line if we're out, like all of that is really fine for her versus a super young dog who really has those kind of higher needs. I think it's all something to be considered. But what I'm hearing from you is that actually, you know, having one or both of these impairments in and of itself does not need to mean complete loss of quality of life. And in fact, we can help them a lot too. And it sounds like just upping that communication level with you is enhancing that quality of life enough. Like that's why one of the four steps to behavioral wellness is communication. It is really, really important. And when dogs have a harder time accessing some of the other pillars of wellness, the other ones that they can access kind of need to step up and take over And it sounds like for these guys, the communication piece can really fill in a lot of those gaps. It can. I mean, like I said earlier with my senior clients, I have gotten some of the most heartwarming messages from those clients just saying that their dog in their last remaining months or even years blossomed all over again. Because and, you know, and even with the deaf and blind puppies, because a lot of these puppies, no one's ever tried to talk to them. So when someone does, it's almost they're like, please can teach me, you know? (laughs) And it's so, that's why, you know, like I was joking, I'm so freakish about this is because I I find that so heartwarming that like we are, I'm trying to communicate with you. I'm learning how to communicate with you. So, you know, take me with a grain of salt, but the eagerness to want to communicate back is, is this beautiful connection between human and animal. And I just think if we, you know, if we, like the whole encompassing part of this conversation, if we just take time to learn the animal in front of us and try to communicate in the ways that they're, you know, they're trying to, it it can be this beautiful relationship. Now, if you as a human don't think you are like, if your dog has gone blind or has gone deaf and that would be too hard for you or say you have a disability that you aren't able to meet that, then that's a whole nother story too. You are a big part of that connection. And if you can't, you know, if that's something you are unable to do too, that's okay. You know, that's also a huge learning curve for you. Well, I think that is a really perfect place to wrap it up. I want to thank you for your help with Iggy. Everybody know, everybody's known me for like the la- any, any five seconds in the last 15 years knows <laughs> how important she is to me. So I really, Aww. really appreciate your help. And I, also want to thank you for coming on the podcast and I'm going to link everything for everybody, but tell them where they can find you if they want to know more. Well, thank you so much for inviting me into the IG world because your relationship is really something super special to, to watch. So yeah, so my business name is Down to Earth Dog Lady. You can find my website is just downtoearthdoglady.com. If you're interested in seeing some of my training, all of my socials, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. It's all down to earth dog lady. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's hey, where yeah. don't don't bash it too hard because that's I where I saw old you first. On there. <laughs> um, it's all down to earth. I know. Erin, we, we, we are we are old on there. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. We both still you have know, Facebook. I that's how old we are. <laughs> and, and 
naming Facebook as the first one really ages me. So um, yeah, so Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all down to earth dog mm-hmm. lady. And if you yourself are struggling with finding community with deaf and blind dog, um, with having a deaf and blind dog, I recently changed the whole kind of atmosphere of my dog training club. And it is just a support group now. So we meet twice a month. We do uh, dog training. Uh, we talk about highs and lows. We cry, we laugh, we drink wine. So it's just a place to feel safe and to vent about um, having a dog that's deaf, blind, or both. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast. And don't forget to join Patreon at patreon.com slash cogdogradio. And if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here, I hope you'll check out my online courses, my membership, and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.